Here we are, the birthplace of Dr. Martin Luther King, cradle of the civil right, the blackest city in America, and, and pastors and, and 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 everybody. We uh, all these stars and and and, and all the entertainment and, and, and state reps, and it just it just hard to get support. It seems like it just something about their support, voting right, they support everything. But when it comes to police brutality, they, they oh, bag. Everybody hide. They hide because of that. Yeah, they, yeah, they high. It's like so many of them sold they sold for a few pieces of silver. Come on now. Come yeah, on. and a lot of them allowed them to be manipulated, controlled by the president power of the white supremacy. So you have pastors don't want to preach about it. They don't want to preach about a uh, uh, police brutality. You have uh, people trying to sugarcoat it. Here we are, our ancestors sacrificed. Hmm. They bled, they got hung, they got shot, they got raped. Every every could which kind they sacrificed. Even little Ruby Bridges when she had to face what she faced. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we don't have them type of leader. We're leaders. We have to. We're leaders, mm-hmm. and we got to just show the world. We got to show everybody. No, we, we're not. We fight for our love. We're not. We're not in the bag now. And and the other thing that we have to remember is the most important, the powerful uh, movements have been from the ground up, not from the top down. Yeah, you're right. So at the top, they are. <laughs> you know, they comfortable. They they don't want to compromise their comfortability. Right. So, so we're us on the ground. We the ones we've been waiting for. Good evening. My name is Roxanne Johnson. Uh, my son's name is Jamal Bird. Um, he was killed by DC Metropolitan Police October the 1st, 2019. I'm here with my lovely co-host this evening, Latoya. Good evening, Latoya. How you doing? Roxanne, 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 Roxanne. Good evening, you all. My name is Latoya Benton. I am the mother of Xavier Hill. Xavier was killed by two Virginia State Troopers at the age of 18 on January the 9th, 2021. Uh, tonight, you know, we like to do a little different sometimes. We're putting the spin on things again. We have our third um, community town hall discussion, and it's entitled Pastors on Politics, Policy, and Power. We are honored to be uh, gathered by other pastors today as well. I want to start with Pastor Holland. Can you go ahead and give an intro to yourself, please? Absolutely. Hello, everybody. Thanks for uh, for joining in tonight. Thank you all for allowing me to be on the the, uh, the call tonight. Uh, my name is Gary Holland. Live in Stafford, Virginia. Married 29 years as of August 20th to the wonderful Jeanette Holland. Five children. Uh, just uh, a family guy. A person that loves the community. Loves serving the community. Uh, a person that loves ministry and serving in the ministry, uh, serve as a pastor uh, here locally, and uh, absolutely frustrated over the years uh, with the things that we see and the inaction of not the, just the church, but uh, organizations uh, that in the past were much more vocal, much more involved, much more active when it, when it comes to standing up for the rights of people. So we got a little tired of it some years ago, and we formed our own organization called Enough and started uh, several initiatives designed to help people uh, get busy uh, and to enact change and, and in a way that's positive for our community. So that's where my heart is, and that's a little bit about me. Thanks. Thank you, Pastor Holland. Who do you want to pass the mic to, Pastor Holland? I'm going to pass the mic to, I'm trying to find a good uh, command, Washington Commanders fan. I think Pastor Mike <laughs> is a Commanders fan. Pass it to him. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. I am from uh, the home of the five-time NFL champion. <laughs> There's the 49ers, soon to be six-time this year. 
Yes, bang bang, not a gang. Yeah, bang bang, sorry to disappoint you, brother Holland, Pastor Holland, but we we still comrades in the struggle to end police brutality. Yes, sir. <laughs> My name is Michael McBride. I'm from San Francisco. Live in Oakland, pastor church in Berkeley. So I'm a Bay Area uh, based clergy person. Also lead the national Live Free USA network. Uh, it is a, a network of thousands of faith leaders, pastors, formerly incarcerated individuals. Um, we work with a lot of the major denominational bodies across the country in the Black church tradition and beyond to prioritize ending gun violence. Uh, mass incarceration, police violence, and uh, encouraging our loved ones to get out and be civically engaged through voter participation and governance, holding elected officials accountable after the elections. Super grateful to be here with you all, and um, uh, I will pass it on to Reverend Galloway, uh, AME brother, who must be an abolitionist by nature. <laughs> Absolutely. Good to good to be in this company. Uh uh, and I'm a Minnesota Vikings plan, fan true and through. Highs or lows and lows. So I know what the mountain is. A lot of lows. A lot of lows. A lot of lows. <laughs> but uh uh um Reverend Anthony Galloway, I pastor St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, one of the northernmost AME churches in the country. Um, I serve under Elder Stacy Smith, who's the president of the Minnesota Council of Churches, and in that role, I'm part of our protest chaplains group. I'm part of our racial justice committee and our reparations task force. And so some of the intersections come from that space. And a lot of our uh, folk, we've been on the ground here, uh, was on the ground with at George Floyd Square when things were going down there. I'm a former classmate of Philando Castillo and he was killed six blocks from my house by an officer who had been through one of our workshops. So we're right there in this intersection with quite a few things. And so I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to, 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 to talk from the standpoint of how, uh, of, of returning Black liberation to a centerpiece of our Christian practice in the Black community. And so I'm here just to go wherever it goes. Um, and uh, no, no conversations too awkward. Um, and I don't shy away from truth, no matter what it is. And if we were, that's, to me, that's practicing bad faith. So let's go, let's get it in. That's right, that's right, that's um, right. And I'll pass it to uh, Reverend Dr. Greta Willis. Hi, good evening, everyone. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, the mother of Kevin Al Cooper. Unfortunately, my son was having a mental health crisis at the age of 14, and he was murdered in our home in front of me by a Baltimore City police officer, August the 12th of 2006. I'm a mother, grandmother, advocate, and a humble God under the great leadership of Apostle Roger Johnson here in Baltimore, Maryland, advocate against gun violence because gun violence is police violence as well. So being an advocate for the young people to keep them going, doing the outreach in our ministry here in Baltimore City and continuously keeping boots on the ground, bringing the word forward to the people of God and allowing them to know that they do have a voice and we can be the voice for the voiceless who cannot continue to speak for themselves. And I'm happy to be here a part of this great conversation because here in Baltimore that we do walk, we, we march, we speak, and we have voices for our young people, advocate for those who have lost their lives by the hand of police across this nation as a whole. And at this time, I would pass it on to 
prophetess. Shalom, glad to be here. Welcome. Uh, my name is Dr. Adrian Blackstock. I'm executive pastor with Glory Bible Fellowship International Church, which is a senior pastor, my husband, Bishop Adam Blackstock. Uh, we've been married for over 29 years. We have five children. This January, our beloved AJ Blackstock was murdered, um, unfortunately, by an acquaintance. It was not by a police officer. Um, I'm a part of the Concerned Clergy Coalition. Uh, we deal with education, racial equality, and crime and balance. It is something that my husband and I have been a part of before um, in the community of the greater Kansas City area where the balance here, um, the crime waves continue to go forward. So we have been a voice. I also have been affected by um, uh, wrongful stop by police officers. And one of the ways we did with that and with the NAACP and getting the church to show up so that our voices can be heard and teaching individuals how to properly stand up for themselves. So I am an advocate for those who do not have a voice and I'm glad to be here. Wow, amen. We, um, we thank you again, all of you for joining us. We're going to get right into it. I know you heard our um, the trailer that we uh, we uh, that our uh, producer produced, but uh, that we had be right before we started our conversation. So I don't know. Let's start there. How about that? What, the perception that uh, clergy is not doing enough in the community. Let's start there. What 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 where do you think that comes from? But more importantly, what do you think that us we can do about that? Because we're about action on this podcast, so anybody can chime in. If I, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in. Um, several, several years ago, uh, and I live in Northern Virginia, Stafford, Virginia. It's kind of a suburb of Washington, D.C. Um, and when all the things were going on around George Floyd, people, of course, were upset and uh, pe people were getting shot. All kinds of stuff was happening. People were starting to march and to protest and to do all of those things. And I'm pretty involved in the community on a number of fronts. And people were asking me, where is the church? Where is the church? Why is the church more vocal? And I, and I kept hearing that. Um, and one thing that I will say is while the church may not have been, uh, the pastors may not have been behind the mic, and many times they were, they just weren't wearing their collar. They were behind the mic with an NAACP shirt on. They were behind the mic with whatever nonprofit or, or community activism organization they were part of they had that hat on or their shirt so the church was present but it wasn't visible from a church perspective and, and people were hurting people needed guidance they needed help and i and i felt that and the, and and i do think the church missed an opportunity pre-covid during all this turmoil in our nation and uh that's when we formed our group because we weren't kind of held back by the restrictions of the church we weren't held back by bylaws from the NAACP or different organizations. And we began to focus on things that we thought would help us uh, to grow and, and progress. Things like voter mobilization, uh, things like working with the children in all communities uh, around education, around empowering them, working with marriages, working with families. So we started initiatives that allowed us to begin to really connect in the community to provide what we heard people asking for that they said they weren't receiving from the church. Uh, and of course, we connected them and directed them to ministries uh, as we engaged with them. But people had a valid point um, and things were very tumultuous now uh, in terms of the church not being as visible in the past, civil rights era, they, we were in church basements planning <laughs> marches and planning to support uh, speakers and people that were, were going out and, and advocating for our rights. This time frame, 
the church wasn't, from what I saw, that involved, but I believe the church has always been present, uh, just maybe not as visible as people would have liked. But I thank God for people like I'm seeing on this panel that still find a way, make a way to be engaged and to let people know that it's the Christ in us that's that's prompting us and pushing us to get out and be, be of service and to be of help to people that are hurting across this country, because many many are, whether it's gun violence, police violence, drug issues, et cetera. We have a right, we have a, we have a role to play and an obligation to play uh, to get out and to be involved, right? So, but yeah, I do think there was a problem in terms of visibility. Uh, and I think we do need to be more visible, more visible. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned this now too. I think, uh, as you said, the church may have been out there and they may have like a, a shirt on like um, NAACP, okay? Now, let's talk about that. I want to touch on that because oftentimes when we see whether it be police violence, community violence, we look at organizations that just as NOSCP or Black Caucus, whatever, that we know are Black-led, like you just said, pastors are involved in those organizations. I guess my question is, as a mom, you know, when you're looking, as you say, when we're hiding from the community, right, and you have these leaders who are running these organizations that are up here, and I'm as a mom, I'm like, okay, well, hey, where is the compassion at from the church? Granted, you don't run this organization, and I get it, your bylaws say one thing, but how long do, do, do those organizations who are ran by pastors let these bylaws come for people? And that's really what it is. When I'm a mom and I'm saying, hey, I need help, and they're saying, well, hey, well, I, I want to help you out, but I can't do it because my organization says this. As a person, what did it lead me at for the church? I want to come in, and I only can speak from my perspective here in the greater Canyon City area, because when we have those issues like that, we're never, if the concerned clergy um, are limited, if anything that we're going to participate and be a part of. One of the things I also want to put it back on is what Pastor Gary said. Many times when people say, where is the church? We must also understand when I, when I hear that, and I want to change that cliche because it may be some churches not um, actively involved or maybe the average. But when we say that the church is very, for me, the church is involved. Um, we've sometimes overlooked as well um, when we have to have, hold all these funerals. You know, I, I sit on a board and but even from my spiritual father, myself, one of the things is we're, we have to be there on the back end as well. And so um, I wanted just to speak to that part of it. But the church is there for those that in your in your community and maybe hopefully you can reach out to those individuals because if it was not for the church, although I'm a pastor, it was the community of the greater Kansas City area that reached out to me. And I look at I look at that, that is because of me being a pastor and being there in the streets and people seeing my husband and I being a part of racial equality, being a part of crime and violence, being a part of the education. And so I just wanted to put that out there that I believe that the church is very well representative. Now, do we have maybe some other pastors that we need to get involved because they're afraid to speak out? Well, I, I say yes. Now I'm speaking not as a politician, I'm speaking as a pastor and I'm speaking as a prophet of God. I have standards of God and I will cry loud and spare not. And I'm not afraid to speak up. I don't care what type of bylaws that they um, that they have. And also um, for me, I probably want to say, where are the people of God? Not so much where's the church because the church is only have one leader, but where are the people of God that should be standing up as well? 
I this is um this has been something that's been that's been uh, a front and center for us here in in Minnesota in the Twin Cities Minneapolis area in particular um you know one of the things that I found many of our church members who again uh to to as was said by by Pastor Holland and 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 Pastor uh, Black uh, Blackstock, uh, our folks is out. Our folks was out. Folks was out on on the ground. Our folks was present in all kinds of different areas and places. I think one of the things that we lamented um, and had to go back and do some some mourning and, and some self reflection about is that it used to be that we were the conduit for the marshalling of this power. And I think it's absolutely true. And, and that we're, that the churches are no longer the conduit for the marshalling of all of, of power and frontline space. And I think that is the thing that many of the folks in, in, in our community space, when they raised the question about the church, they, they were looking for the church to be a conduit. And what was real for us on the ground, um, as you know, the folks who were organizing on the ground, we had amazing sisters leading the charge here in, in the Twin Cities area. And a lot of the organizing, the meeting, the prep, the things like that that were happening were done in church basements, in church sanctuaries. A block, a block away from, from uh, George Floyd Square, the sister who was the pastor there opened that up as the, as the triage space. And that's the place that we, we went to. The protest chaplains were organized and we did have collars on. And we were there to help be bodies in front of because we know that our presence with the collar de-escalated uh, the, the, the officers and the quote unquote law enforcement because there are many folks who came into our area that were representing law enforcement that was not our local law enforcement. Uh, and, and we de-escalated by putting bodies right in front of, of those folks. And so I think one of the big things that, that was real for us that we're having to come to grips with is folks that carry this long idea that the church, the black church would be the conduit for this type of action. And this action is organizing from many different perspectives. And now we're just partners on the ground. And so our, our centralness in it is a little bit different. But I would also add uh, that presiding elder Stacy Smith, who's now the president of the Minnesota Council of Churches, they have a racial justice office. We talk and bringing reparations right down in the front and center and thinking on, on some of those long-term issues. Um, she made a call across the state of Minnesota and organized hundreds of clergy, black and others from around the state and held two uh, very highly visible interfaith marches in Minneapolis and in St. Paul to say, look, to just to add weight and power. And here's the beauty of it, right? One of those gatherings occurred just because some wires got crossed at the same time as, as Black Lives Matter, local NAACP, and a few other folks were, were leading some things around the government center. The beautiful thing that I watched is the Black clergy who were organizing the prayer rally walked over to the people they already knew who were doing underground street movement stuff. They had a quick conversation and within minutes, both of those hugely organized hundreds of people gatherings uh, worked, it, worked it out so that the clergy would back and bless and pray, for, and pray for the other action that was happening, did that action, and then it culminated in the prayers. And it happened just like that. So there's that conversation back and forth. But I, I think we have to concede that the church is not at the moment the conduit like it was in the, during the civil rights movement. And that's something that we have to lament and and process and come to come to grips with. Yeah, I, I'd love to hop in here. You know, I think it's super important to affirm what the people are saying in our churches and in our pews, um, you know, because they are the ones that are calling out for more help. <laughs> and so, you know, if, if the sheep are calling for more help, 
then the shepherds can't see, hey, you know, can't start talking about all the help we provided. I think there's a number of things that are happening, right? I think, you know, we often <clears throat> romanticize and misremember how many uh, actual faith leaders or black church leaders were involved in the civil rights movement. As a matter of fact, um, we must remember that Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and a lot of his comrades had to leave the National Baptist Convention and start the Progressive National Baptist Convention because they were deemed as being too involved in the fight for civil rights. Martin Luther King had to write a letter from the Birmingham jail and he was writing to the pastors and others in different cities saying, hey, you're moving too fast. When Martin Luther King went to certain parts of the Midwest like Chicago, he literally was ran out of town by the clergy there because they said, hey, you know, this is too much, too soon, too radical, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and or the leadership in our city, our own clergy leadership don't need these outsiders coming in, you know, kicking up a lot of sand. So I just say that to just help remind us that this has been a long conversation, a long conversation of tension between pastors, between church members, and between community members who don't necessarily attend black churches, but are asking and expecting the black church to show up and stand in solidarity on behalf of the liberation and freedom of black people um, who are dealing with, whether it's police violence, anti-black racism, all kinds of oppression, et cetera. What I would just offer to us is some of the challenge we have, right, is that the average black church in this country is less than 70 members. The average black pastor is a full-time, has a full-time job outside of the pastoral responsibilities they have in their church. Um, and so what we must start to think about is how do we help ensure that the pastors are not seen as the full expression of what it means for the black church to be involved. And I think the more deeper, the more deeper command, demand, or expectation we must have for black pastors, uh, of which we're trying to do our part, training thousands and thousands of pastors across the country every year. How do we make sure that black pastors do not side with the criminal injustice system, law enforcement, and or local politicians? when we're trying to get justice, uh, a, a better justice system and a better public safety system that does not brutalize, take the lives and harm our, our black family members. So, yes. Mike, you literally, uh, somebody in the comments, they just put, they put just that. They're putting as far as the church is taken aside. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. you have churches who will side, you see families out here who are grieving and then you see churches that have an office full of like baby office full of that. And I, I, you know, their perspective, you're probably serving the sheep. We are the sheep. Mm -hmm. We're telling these the sheep would not. So you hit it right on the nose. Keep going past the mic. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, no. And, and I'll just often say, you know, you know, my congregation here in the Bay Area is only maybe a couple hundred members. Right. But I'm one of the pastors among many here in the Bay Area that are out in the streets. And so we have more relationship with people in the streets and in the communities beyond just the four walls of my church. But it does come at a deep, deep price for a lot of pastors because, you know, many of us have families, we have, we have children, we have spouses, and, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. And, you know, if you're going to meet everybody in the neighborhood, you probably mean it's taking some hours and some precious time away from your children and your family. And so we have to, I think, create 
some structured spaces where community members and faith leaders and pastors can meet together. They could be monthly meetings or, or, or regular scheduled meetings where we can build relationships and then perhaps create what we're, we call a time-bound series of engagements and trainings so we are not so disconnected from the pain of our community members and our people. It is a worthwhile critique as pastors, I and we should receive that critique. And we should also have some very important proper expectations for what pastors can do, what they should do, and structure those so everybody can get the maximum impact of not just the preacher, but the black church. I think part of that too, when it comes to pastors in power, right? Uh, people in the comments are saying, in the comments are saying to it, well, you know, what is the overall goal of the church? Um, we we know it's there to get spiritual food and blessings. We that's that's common sense. So the topic at hand again is when it comes to the civil rights movement beginning in the church. When did that goal would not? When did that you know? When did that stop? Because we still get killed every single day again. So the community violence or it's police brutality is still going on every single day. Someone else in the comments said, uh, fighting for justice takes, takes all of our time. And it does, you know, it's not just the pastor's time and whatnot. So then how do we then say, you know, hey, because the pastors are in power, you guys can get to the community faster than we can as one person. How do we then say, okay, hey, let's take that so we can begin to fight for justice? What about the overall goal, I would say, of the church and the civil rights movement? Can you guys touch on that as well? If I, I'm sorry, go right ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll chime in after you. Go right ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to say, you know, it's really important for us to appreciate that. I believe it was 1967 or 68. The American government passed what is called the Johnson Amendment, which meant that up until the passage of that legislation, churches could engage in both lobbying policy and public engagement in the political system. It is thought that the Johnson Amendment was passed in direct response to the mobilizing of the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Council, and many other emerging black church organizing efforts against the um, white supremacist nature. Some of you may be familiar with the Kerner Report, which was published in 1973 that talked about why police brutality was an issue in all these cities across the country. I just say that to say for, for almost 25 to 30 years, maybe even longer, we as pastors have been continuously getting drilled by legal teams and all these different folks about the danger of losing our 501c3 if we engage in too much partisan political activity. But now, that's the line. Okay, let me, that's the line. Let me just finish this. Let, ahead, let, me finish, let me just finish this, sister, right? Because I, I think I know where you're going, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, yeah, that's right. Come on. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm one of these people that that don't that that don't uh find that to be compelling enough for me to 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 not you know be engaged, right? But I think it's really important to appreciate that for for some some clergy leaders here who who are very much concerned about the ways in which they're able to deliver other kinds of services to their community that is not necessarily political service. So like feeding the hungry, uh, clothing the naked, ha housing the homeless. Some pastors have in their mission, right, this idea that 
we must maintain our ability to provide what we call mercy ministries. Um, so that can be a part of our mission. This work, I, when I talk to pastors, I say this is justice ministry. And then there's a whole nother version of uh, community development ministries. So I just want to in inject that, not to, as an excuse, but just to give us, because the scripture says, and all you're getting, get an understanding. I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm just trying to help us to appreciate that some pastors, some churches are feeling a bit bound by certain kinds of, of, of obstructions that have been placed in the uh, the laws that were not there in the 60s. So if you're saying, why were pastors more engaged in the 60s? Well, many pastors who were engaged weren't le literally getting their IRS 501c3 threatened by the government for being overly engaged in political activity. That was something in the 60s they did not have to think about. That's, that's still I'd rather, today. I'd rather have those pastors of that time than the pastors that <laughs> I'm serious. If the pastor is more worried about his father wants his status, then he's worried about the deaths in the community and whatnot. That's a problem. Again, the topic of the conversation, again, is that the civil rights movement began in churches, right? So when did the goal change? If, if you're saying you got some pastors out here who want to feed the homeless, I mean, no harm. They got plenty of government programs out here to feed the homeless. They got to apply for the programs or not. I, I get it. We have to still be humanitarians, right? That's part of what we're doing. Now we got to be humanitarians. But when it comes to the civil rights movement and the churches, when did that become secondary goal to them? When is it okay to say, like I said again, what if you got a mom in that same community where that church is at? And the church is saying, well, we feed the homeless. We ain't even worried about where they get the shot. You know what I'm saying? Then when you when you see that person to or not, that, that, that they're still part of the sheep. So how does that begin come secondary to the overall church movement when it came to the civil rights movement? Well, Latoy, let me say, well, I don't know what type, those just probably some coward pastors because Donald Trump changed that. They ain't got not, not whether he changed that. So I don't understand that shouldn't even be on the table anymore. So if you have leaders that are not stepping up for their community, right? Then that's that's no excuse. Now I can't right. speak. I, I said in the in the chat over there where you know where's the church being frontline, but we're in a different times right now, right? Where from where I'm sitting at, right? You my story is different from probably mostly everybody else's story. It wasn't. I feel even as a pastor, like I'm in the I'm getting it from both sides. I have the police on one side. Then I have my own brothers on the other side. So when they was doing, they was all fighting, fighting to fighting together. Like someone knew that I was doing this here. They said, what I please, I don't want to hear is about Black Lives Matter until we discuss that all lives matter. Yeah. Right? So when we're saying we're in a different time, so the same people, when we have to sometimes be concerned when we do go out, man, is somebody going to come by and shoot us or what have you? When we, we in the streets walking, so... Uh, talk about what the police did and what happened. Then we got to be concerned about the people in the neighborhood that the drug dealers and the human trafficking people who want to keep the community in bondage. They didn't have that back then. My grandmother, everybody stood together. They all was in. They all was suffering together. But nowadays, because of, of where we at, we we got to have like eyes on the back of our head. The same people we're trying to help is the same people that's trying to kill us. And I dropped the mic. If I can in, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to interject two things. Number one, you know, you were saying about um, church that, that most churches are small. 
but uh, there are church organizations, you know, National Baptist. I know I come from the AME um, uh, background, so I know there's lots of organizations, Episcopal districts, bishop, you know, so there's a lot of organization that is in the church structure already. So why not use the structure you already have to do some of this work, number one. Number two, you know, um, yep, we can learn a lot of, we can take a lot of lessons from uh from the 60s, just like you would take a lot of lessons from the Old Testament, right? So, so the things that were done wrong, so, so you know not to repeat them. So rather than us say, well, you know, yeah, nobody really uh really was uh was was uh, uh walking with uh Martin Luther King Jr. when he was out there struggling and and, and he had a low approval rate. All of that is true. But how does how do we take those lessons from them and then and apply them to 2023? Because we're in a crisis. We're in an epidemic epidemic situation in our community, our community. How do we change that? Because we could talk about what didn't happen, what did happen, what should have happened. But uh, the scripture that I know says that we can do all things. Right. And it also says that we by the power that's in working within us. When we gonna work? When we gonna move on that? Yeah, if I could just got just chime in. I mean, I hear I hear uh, all the things that are said. I I think prophetess, what you said is aligning with what I'm kind of thinking. You know, certainly, things are different now than they were then. I mean, there there there's trouble on every side. Um, and pastors, and I believe many there are many pastors that care about the community. I believe there are many pastors that at the forefront of every waking moment is how can they. And how can their church mobilize to help with this issue of police brutality, to help with the drug issues, to help with, you know, teen pregnancy, to help with, you know, opioid epidemics, to help with, you know, multiculturalism and to help with all these different faiths that are popping up, pulling people away, you know, from the church at the, at the risk of their own, you know, salvation. So there, there are numerous issues at the top of many pastors' minds and hearts. And I don't think civil rights, I don't think uh, protecting people's uh, uh, human rights has become secondary uh, to, to, to many pastors. Certainly there are pastors where their pocketbook drives their decision-making. And there are that's certainly right. pastors, unfortunately, there are, but there, there are people, like that. that's people, period, right? We're all human. Pastors are no different. So there are certainly pastors that have huge congregations. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They don't want to affect the local politicians that affect the the zoning for the properties they're going to build or churches they're going to build. Absolutely, that's a reality. And we're always going to have to deal with that, right? But I do believe that there are pastors that care. What I see as the, the challenge, I see a huge issue with pastors of like mind coming together. Um, I, and that's a problem with, with people. If their name isn't at the top of the flyer, if it's not their church, their organization, they'll wait and do something themselves. They don't want to come together. You know, and 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 but that's human nature. That 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 happens, right? And we have to we have to work through that. We have to find. I heard someone on this call say they train thousands and thousands and thousands of pastors. I live in the metropolitan area in Washington D.C. You know, our church congregation is about 250 people plus a large number of virtual community that participates regularly. I've, I've not heard of what they do. You know, I've not had an opportunity uh, to be trained and to grow through what they do. We struggle creating a true network where like-minded pastors can really work together to begin to make tangible differences in our community because everyone wants to be the big cheese. Everyone's bishop wants to be the, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's just the reality. And I'm not, I'm not making things up. 
right? That's the biggest problem I see because I do believe that there are pastors that care, that want to see people safe, that want to see children with opportunities, right? I do believe that with all my heart, but they can't do it on their own. You know, if you go through any city, any town, any urban area, you'll see a million churches, right? But how many times do you see those churches united, you know, in any meaningful way? That That's the huge problem, but I think that's a problem with, with man, men and women and something we need to deal with to say, you know what, it's really more about the people than it is about my building, my structure, my titles, my, you know, dot, dot, dot. And, and I think that's one of the main things that holds us back. I don't see any problem with churches engaging civically, engaging with local political leaders, educating people about voting. There's so many people, one of our big initiatives with our group, not with the church, is voter empowerment. And we set up in communities every weekend. And we ask people, do you know which do you know which elections are coming up in November? Well, no, no. Uh, do you know which district you live in? Do you know which offices are up for election? Do you realize these people set the laws? These people pick the magistrates. These people, you know, they, they don't realize the importance of understanding what's going on locally in many cases, and not just people in the in the inner city or in the in the hood. These are people that live in five hundred thousand, three quarter million dollar houses that have no idea of what's going on locally politically. So there are churches that are active in trying to educate people so that they can begin to, to, to make pick people, put people in offices that, ha- that share their values and really want to help make differences long term. But it comes down to, in my opinion, you know, there's a lack of true unity, uh, especially if you're not a part of the same reformation or, you know, if you're not in the same city. Uh, with the, with the, the world is flat. And with the internet and technology, there's no reason why all of us can't link our organizations together. You know, we can do so much more together. Synergy, right? Uh, two plus two equals five. We can do so much more together than we can in our own, you know, parts of the of, of the country. And I think we just struggle with that because if, if our name or logo isn't at the top, you know, the people that lead our organizations won't let us partner with others, right? And I think I think Toy, that's what causes a lot of the perception that the church isn't as impactful as it could be. Uh, because we're trying to do it on our own. And, and you, you, you are right. I mean, a lot of the times, too, like I said, you know yourself, I've had a personal experience. Uh, Pastor Holland has helped me as far as Xavier's case is concerned. Um, so I know there are some pastors out here who are not about the pocketbook, right? But oftentimes you get these mega churches out here and that's all you see. You know, and you're like, you know, hey, why why don't you see all these people out here doing protests, but then the pastors are not out here. Um, and I get it. They, uh, and I, no, I don't get it. Because when it comes to the whole 501c thing or whatnot, I'm, I'm, I don't. Because like I said, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't go in place in front of people. Uh, even when the churches come out to help the community out with certain things or not, they don't come out even with, with certain things with, you know, that nature. So how do we then, so if that's the case, then if you can go down the block and you see a hundred churches, how do we then bridge the gap then so that we can stop getting healed? You know, it's funny you say that, but one quick, this is wow. a quick, it made me laugh when I thought about this. Churches found out about community development corporations and found ways to form that to make money under the umbrella of the nonprofit church. We can certainly find ways to mobilize and get involved politically and get involved in our communities uh, without jeopardizing tax exempt status. We just need to step back and begin to think about those ways and, and implement them so that it's legal. Yeah, we can do it. I'm sorry, I've seen you've been trying to jump in, so I'm going to (laughs) wait. 
Thank you so much. I just want to jump in a few moments because I was listening to all that has been said thus far. And when you speak about, you know, uh, what has taken place back in um, Dr. Martin Luther King's time in the civil rights movement, a lot of the ministries do, do in terms of strategizing, bringing the people together. Can I can only speak for the greater Baltimore area we serve under in this particular area along with my that we we had the riot here in baltimore in 2015 when freddie gray was murdered the clergy black arms walked marched in the streets and stood before law enforcement offering prayer offering a, a space of security a place for the people that they can come offering that place that we can come together as one. Whatever their dire needs were at that time. We just had a mass shooting here where there was 32 people that were shot in Baltimore City. Two were murdered and 28. The other 30 were just injured. But we were offering all the needs of the further because is in us, the house of worships is what we're under, that house of worship. So coming together as one, locking arms, being in that place, that interfaith, coming together as one, helping in all the needs in which the community needs. And I heard that you're saying the portion that the pastors do care. I know they care. And I can say, to hear hearts are for the people of God, bring offering prayer to the families, helping in their grievance period for themselves, for their children, their grandchildren that are left behind after whatever shooting or whatever have occurred in the communities. We're there to offer clothes, help with burial assistance, helping them with their grief process. This is what churches are all about. And I know the people of God care for the people that we serve that's under our toolage, those in communities and other cities. I've been to California and Minnesota and different places to march with the mothers and others coming together as one, offering up prayer for the people of God. And that's what we have to stay in that place. When we look and see, we say trouble comes on every side. Everywhere we looked at this, something's going to happen in our communities and our personal lives. But God said, keep him first in all that we do. So if we keep God first, no matter what's taking place, that we can be there to be that helps for the people marching together, coming, locking arms one to another. And that's what we see here in Baltimore City. I don't know in the areas and all areas in which everyone comes from, but I truly believe that the men and women of God have a heart for the people of God. I just want to say real fast, um, and I'm going to say with all due respect, um, I think we got to go beyond premise rather at the same time, though. A lot of times when, you know, people, they'll put on Facebook, right, somebody will kill, they'll say thoughts and prayers. What does that mean? When, it, when someone says thoughts and prayers or whatnot, I, I get the people in the prayers, but prayers don't change policies. And the policies, was, that's what's killing us. So I think when we look for the churches, we're not looking for that. We, we, we know we can go get grief counsel from churches. I think we're looking for the power structure. Uh, back from the 60s, again, when it happened to the rights or not, the power structure was there to get real life change. 
So I think we're looking for where is that power structure? Do we still have it or how do we obtain it? Thank uh, you. You want to go in and go real fast? I'm sorry. That's that's that right there is the is is the shift that at least in 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 our area and I, and I thank somebody for bringing up the the apparatus of the AME Church right our women's missionaries are on the ground uh, we've got these apparatuses that get information and get folks on the same page in that regard to marshal what's there but I think I think we got to own that that power base that works through the church at one point in time ain't the same now. But at the same time, you know, uh, we, 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 we've got multiple things happening. Uh, just as, as, a, as a perfect example, right? Um, when, when folks began to shut down highways, right? I'll just give this perfect example in Minnesota, right? Folks began to shut down highways, disrupt the whole thing. Prior to that, folks were not getting meetings with the governor. Folks were not getting meetings with, with folks who they were really trying to get in. They get pushed and pushed and pushed. And so then all of a sudden things are shut, somebody shuts down a highway and all of a sudden folks are getting meetings that they weren't to before. And here's the, here's the, one of the dopest things that I saw. We threatened to, we were, there was a march that was happening down University uh, Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, and it was a major thorough section and folks, all they had to do was threaten to go up to Highway 94, which was put through the black neighborhood of Rondo community, like so many communities across, right? Uh, and this economic uh, Tulsa that happened in, in the in St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, and just the threat of doing that got folks who wouldn't take meetings before to call and reach out to the folks who wanted them. So there is real room for organizing strategy. There are church members that involved. There there were clergy who were part of helping devise some of that strategy. In the state of Minnesota, we just uh, we just passed legislation that uh, that reenfranchises a whole lot of former felons who couldn't vote before. There were folks in the mix alongside at that, but the, it, it wasn't St. Mark AME Church marshalling it. It, it wasn't a, a, a Pilgrim Baptist Church, the first black church in Minnesota marshalling it, but all these folks are at the table. So I think there's some real strategic things to do. One last example I'll give is one of the things that we know happens. And as, the, as mothers who have lost, lost, lost children in this struggle, we know that one of the first pushbacks that start to come in there the moment you start trying to mess with this uh, police industrial conflict that started with slave patrols, let's be clear, and that history, right? So once we start poking at that, you start getting pushbacks in these predictable jargon, right? This predictable uh, uh, yes. uh, talking points, right? One of them is uh, safety and all this stuff. One of it is all this list starts coming down there and folks begin to stand in this pseudo moral space. What the Black Ministerial Alliance in the Twin Cities said is, no, you ain't about to march that game. Every time you bring that up, there's going to be a black pastor who says, no, if you're trying to go to the Bible, I'm here toe to toe with you. Uh, let's talk about the fact that the very price you purport to stand behind uh, was a brown skinned person murdered by the state for political agitation. Let's be clear about what that what that is. And so you can't use those same uh, talking points. You can't you, you can't take this morals, this 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 fake moral stance because you got some folks who are going to call you into question on that regard. And again. It's not us as the conduit, as the main lead in that space, but how many churches open up their spaces for the organizing of all these things? How many people are like, you know what? Because I sit on this table as a pastor, I know this person who's got this influence here. Let me put you in the same room, all right? Philando Castillo's mother was put in the room to be able to push folks 
because folks use their, their power and influence to do that and never once is going to tell you. Bishop Howell uh, at Shiloh Temple in Minneapolis on the north side of Minneapolis will never uh, will never get up and say, I did X, Y, and Z. But but the amount of people that he put on game and put into rooms that never know that Bishop Howell put him there, I mean, the, the list is huge. And so I, I, I want us to... I want us to be able to hear the critique that I'm hearing that folks want the church to be able to marshal more power. I think there's also a reality yeah, I, check that the power ain't the same as it was at a certain time, but the strategy and the ability to marshal it, it still exists. There are mm -hmm. folks we can call right now because of the AME apparatus that get you to lawyers faster than you would be by yourself. I yeah. will I never forget. I'm sorry. This is my last thing and I'll be quiet for real. No, this you're time. fine. No, you're fine. Uh, the, I remember being there and we were holding the space at George Floyd Square when we were listening to the verdict. That same week, we had to leave George Floyd Square because uh, 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 Brother Wright's family reached out to us and say, hey, protest chaplains, we need to organize a memorial one city away because, because uh, Brother Wright was murdered the week of the Derek Chauvin uh, a decision or, or, or a trial decision. So we had to leave the holding space where folks were we're, we're feeling and we were supporting, feeding folks, putting that there. We had to leave that, go set up a memorial for the Wright family. And then uh, the, that's the same day that the governor declared martial law in, this, in, in the city areas. And the only folks who had had permission to be on, on the streets helping to organize and, and, and protect folks and, and witness and be visual witnesses to what was happening were clergies who, clergy folks who got these letters to be able to be out past curfew and help get folks through. I organized one of the centers that helped pull the youth out and say, no, 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 you, you, we're not going to have them be in the space of getting going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the National Guard. And they came in, spent the night at the center. Next day, got back on the street when the things are off, back on there. and had to go back to George Floyd Square to hear the, the, the Chauvin verdict. So there's these multiple levels. And I think there's some strategy that we can get together to, to, to many folks' points on here to be able to play that, that backroom game, which was also present in the civil rights movement, but we don't tell that history. We don't talk about uh -huh. the fact that Dr. Uh -huh. King got to go to church. Rosa uh -huh. had to get sent to Mississippi to register the narratives of white, of, of, of white male rapists on black women. Right? Something that was way more dangerous than the church. So, so I, I just, I wanna lift all those things and hold those in tension together. And that's what we, we, we gotta be able to do. Yeah. And so why wouldn't the church be a part of the community? We're part of the community. And that so, part. That so part. maybe, uh, maybe pastor, it's time for the church, what? To do a new thing. I'm just Amen. saying. Amen. <laughs> I, I wanted to, I wanted to put, because of the Father, the Holy Spirit spoke this in Isaiah, when we talk about the church, he does speak about justice. It says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of right. offense, and that's fight right. the rights of the widow. So that's, right. that's what that's what we should be at. And then the you need to get out of God's, listen, you need to get out of God's pulpit because Revelation 12 says that we, overcome, we overcome Satan by the power of the blood and the testimony of Jesus Christ, and we love not our lives unto death. Period. Mm -hmm. That's it. Period. Empty out the pulpit if you don't that's want it. to stand for that cause. And you said not all these apostles, even the prophets, their heads got cut off. It was a cause. So all these apostles know that when you get in that office, that you gotta take a stand and you got you may lose your life. You gotta count you gotta that pick a side. <laughs> 
Keep talking. I'm done speaking. Keep preaching. Go ahead. Keep talking. Keep talking. And everything you said, prophetess, I mean, nobody, we can't, we can't. We can't, you know, dispute the word, right? The word, the word is the word. It, it it defines itself. It interprets itself. And I believe every any anyone that's you know studied the word or gone to whatever understands what you said to be completely right. But also, uh, the word says a lot of things that we read and we read it through our own lens and we apply it the way we want to apply it. And that's the reality with what you just read. Just as it's the reality with with a lot of the word, right? We don't we don't always apply it or interpret it the way we should. And that's why we have people still doing the things that we do, right? <laughs> Whether it's cheating on our wives or, or doing the things that we do. Um, what Come you're saying is definitely, you know, that's just, that's just the reality of who we are. You know, brother, you were talking about all the things you're doing in, in Minnesota and that, in that Twin Cities area. You know, the unfortunate reality sitting here is, is that there's been so much in your area that's happened. There have been so many cases, so many situations that have been visible nationally has forced you all uh to 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 come together my 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 concern to be honest is you know how do we how how do you how do we learn from that you know do you do you put information together that shows what you've done that shows some of the outcomes that has metrics that shown how you change laws remove certain people uh, uh got people out of jail i mean is there some out do you have some way of reporting on outcomes so that you can share it with DC, share it with Baltimore, share it with Dallas, share it with ministry or alliances in different parts of the country so we can see what you've done and see the outcomes that were the result. Because I'll tell you, you know, people listening to you tonight going, he sounds like a politician. He sounds good. He uses big words. What are the outcomes? They did all of this stuff. What are the outcomes? And if there are outcomes, why don't you share those methodologies, share those practices that you kind of built up while you guys were in the refiner's fire, right? Share that with others so we can can be as effective as, as you all are in, in your part of the country. Again, it's that lack of, 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 of having some sort of a platform, some sort of a mechanism where we can share information for those that have like minds that really do want to, to engage and, and, and serve our communities in the way that they want to be served. And there are people like you and, and others that are doing the work, but nobody knows outside of your state, outside of your your geography, and we have to figure out a way to to fix that so we can replicate some of those practices. That, that, that's just my opinion. Yeah. And it goes back to you know we have these events. A lot of people have these events, um, whether it be a protest or a gala cooking. I don't care what it is. Um, any point in time, just we got us on this panel right now. Like you're saying we have to learn how to share and strategize and network with each other so we can get powerful. Um, we don't have all the answers. We won this podcast because we do not have all the answers. And even after this call tonight, I'm gonna still have more questions. Pastor Hollis, you know, I love texting you my questions. So, like, that's the whole thing. I'm gonna still have questions. I think we gotta still build that network yes. that we're able to, like you just said, well, they got done in Minnesota, while we can get done here in Virginia in Florida and Texas, while we can do the exact same things. But how do we begin to strategize so we can't get those things done? And keep in mind, this ain't no rosy picture, right? Uh, and and folks are going out, right? We I think it's a really important point to know that we're in a crucible in that regard. And again, I'm not the one in the front all doing all these things. Let me be clear. There are sisters on the ground here who are doing just that and spreading that knowledge everywhere, from Chantel Allen, who's on the St. Paul School Board, to Nakima Levy-Pounds, who's been on the ground fighting for all these different ways, to all the mothers who have come together in our area, because we've had five 
um, uh, of these uh, extrajudicial killings by police officers in the state of Minnesota. And that's just black communities. We're not talking about the missing and murdered indigenous women who are also part of our space. And so I, I think I think what one important piece that that I think needs to be on there is the storytellers. We got a sister named Georgia Fort who's been on the ground telling the story of how these things connect. Oh yeah, been connecting yeah. the dots to places, other 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 places, and sharing that um, sharing some of those strategies on the ground. But but also there are strategies who I will never make broadcast public because you're going to get those channels through community, uh, uh, not public. So those strategies can continue to be strategies. So like there's been things on multiple levels in that regard. And I think we there are people who are already connecting these networks uh, and, and, and sharing some of those things. Again, a central nexus where all the information is is going to be a whole lot of information, a whole lot of stories to tell. But that's one of the areas I think the Black church can be absolutely beneficial to. What if, you know, we, we have in, in, in my church, we have a, a moment in our Sunday that's called our moment of Black joy and, and history below the line. And these are the spaces where we take the stories that are here and we make that a part of what you expect to get on Sunday. And so folks can be able to connect those dots. That didn't come from, from, from me. That came from a, a, a brother who was pastoring out of, uh, 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 out of uh, uh, Alabama um, over in the Tuskegee area, who was like, we're gonna do this because we see the writing on the wall for uh, this kind of anti-woke kind of thing going on. So that sharing is, is, is I, I think I agree full heartedly with that, uh, uh, Reverend Holland, that there's some, we could be a conduit for some dope storytelling that helps to capture what is happening on the ground. And I don't wanna make the mistake of stepping in front of all of these dope sisters and folks who've been on the front lines that we are in solidarity with, who are telling that story as much as they can. And I want to jump in um, quickly on that point in regards to making a difference in the community with the mothers. The mothers have come together, the church, our ministry, the backbone of all of that that has been said thus far is prayer. That's why I stay in that posture and always speak about prayer because we prayed. Then the mothers went forward, stood at Annapolis to have laws change. Here in the DMV, police officers had 10 days to write a report. They didn't have to write their scenario till 10 days after the incident occurred. We were able to get it reduced to five. Now we're still in that posture of prayer, still standing on the front lines and going forward with that legislative process to have it reduced to one. So as we come together, prayer, the key, coming forward, the people of God, locking arms, coming together as one to have some things change, like the Coalition of Concerned Mothers That's across right. the nation come together to make changes in our communities as a whole. The church that I humbly serve under have opened up their doors that we can be that strategy place, that we could come together and strategize as we're going forward in this place of change for our communities so our children, our grandchildren can live another day. Sure. Amen. Amen. Roxanne, I can't see the messages at the bottom. I'm sorry. My phone is like, my computer is there. I'm sorry. So yeah, I'm glad to just hop in. You know, we, you know, the, the network that I lead across the country um, has lots and lots of pastors and faith leaders and churches engaged and involved. 
Um, and so if there's ever any ways that we can link up with folks and help provide those trainings and, you know, provide that linkage, I mean, we just a phone call away. Um, and I, do, I think it's, it's just super important for us just to, you know, <clears throat> I think it was stated at the beginning of this whole conversation, we got to find a coalition of the willing, you know, you're not going to get everybody, unfortunately, but Jesus couldn't get everybody either. Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them was a, was a crook. So, you know, we, we just got to anticipate that um, even our, even our best efforts are likely not going to, going to get everybody, but we can get enough people. And, and as the pastors have stated, um, you know, if, if we just get um, the individuals that have the, the temperament, and the openness to work together, we can get a lot done. We don't we don't need everybody. And sometimes our our desire to get everybody kind of paralyzes us from moving with who we have, right? And so I, I do think that, you know, it's really important for the pastors to hear this critique. I think it's important to find the spaces to invite the pastors who want to get down to get down. And then we rock, you know, we and we 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 move and keep moving until the victory is won. That's right. Yeah. Can I ask a quick question of, of to those that are on the panel? Do, would you say that there's been progress? Just overall, you, would you say that there's been a move in the needle in terms of, you know, the things we've been facing across our across the country with police brutality, you know, uh, brutality against black and brown people, et cetera? You know, with all the activity, all the work that's been going on, would you all say that there's been progress? in a positive direction or do you think we've regressed in terms of just you know how uh minorities are dealt with by law enforcement etc cetera, etc cetera? a question i'd like to ask everyone i'd appreciate your thoughts on that well so okay. so for me the answer is no because the same <laughs> i'm only three weeks out from my last uh negative police encounter uh uh from from where i'm at and so um, I, I'd say no in many regards. However, um, I think there are things that have happened that have never happened before in this regard. We are finally being investigated by the federal, uh, the the Department of Justice, and a few other places in our in our law enforcement that is that is forcing some things to happen differently. Um, uh, is it, it it's glacial speed comparison to what folks on the ground are asking for? But those are things that have never happened before. Um, we we have um, uh, 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 prisoner bills of rights that are coming forward in our area that have never happened before. And that is definitely in response to the things that have happened now. Um, so I, I think there are things that we've never seen before happen that, that feel like a needle move, but, but we are still having extrajudicial killings of, of black and indigenous people in the United States. And as long as those things happen, it, it will never feel like, <laughs> You know, the progress will never feel like what it what it may be to somebody else. But I can definitely say that I've seen things happen that we've never before seen on the table in terms of weapons, in terms of people in place. One of the big things that happened in our area, but it also happened in other areas where these where where this extrajudicial killings has happened, is that you see more people who look like us in positions of of political power. That's something that we've we haven't seen before in some areas. And so you can count that as progress. But the moment somebody else is killed, you know, that then comes back to question and starts to shrink again. So I think that's the best I could say is that I've seen things happen that have never happened before. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna say this because it hasn't been said. 
America has a sin issue. No doubt. And then I'm going to say to that question, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. Until, are we going to see Satan be this? That's what he's doing. And until we as a people, black, brown, blue, green, those of us that call on the name of Jesus and understand that, we're going to still, we have to fight the good fight of faith. And the yeah. best thing, what gives me hope is that I have eternal life Sorry. and I shall live on forever. But I will fight the good fight of faith and I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to shut up until God show up. And That's I'm just right. That's right. So I, I would answer this question in, in a couple of ways. I think that um, we saw some of the most significant progress of federal legislation moving and the Department of Justice um, beginning to open more what are called patterns and practices organizations in cities during the Obama administration. During the Trump administration, a lot of that was rolled back. And it is my opinion that the police departments have actually, um, you know, uh, become more brutal in their tactics and have been um, less willing to engage in policing to address the kind of crime that happens in our communities as a response to the calls for accountability. And, and so this, you know, this has been kind of documented um, as, as a Ferguson effect. If you Google a Ferguson effect, you'll see all kind of um, important uh, alluding, alludes to this idea. And so um, all the data tells us that's now tracking police killings, um, that we are at a record number of police killings per year. Um, last year, I think, was the most deadliest year on record since we've been taking statistics. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that we're improving in the, in the numerical category. I think that there is more consensus around the need to change policing from brutal tactics to something that's much more community-centered uh, and focused. But I think we're a long ways away. A, a large part, I will say, is because, um, you know, folks don't like uh, the defund the police, abolish the police rhetoric. And, and unfortunately, our elected officials, particularly our Black ones and some of our, and a lot of our Black clergy and others, they're just, they, they get on this bandwagon and, and, and what I, I argue be on the wrong side of this conversation. So um, I think we're, we're taking some steps back. I think, you know, there was some momentum after the kind of uprisings of Ferguson, folks mentioned Baltimore, Minneapolis, uh, Baton Rouge, I think the George Floyd protest during the, uh, during the COVID woke everybody up. But I think there's been a huge backlash, unfortunately, that a lot of our communities are bearing the brunt of. Awesome. To say as well that we always have to remember that every day, you know, we're not gonna see the progress that we wanna see happen. It kind of moves as a snail. And as they come, we may get one victory here and then it'll a throwback, will take us back another step. We may go one step forward, two steps back, but anything that we do for Christ is going to last. 
He said that we just stay, and as was said before, they fight the good fight of Christ and continue to keep going forward. And that's what it's about, that we stand on the promises of God. We know that victory is already won when we're doing the work of the Lord and we already have the victory in him. So just continue to stay in coverage, stay in the fight, stay on the battlefield for the people of God. Amen. That's right. What time? What time is that? I can't see. I can't even see my clock. My, my, my computer. I'm sorry. Can I say this? I want to give a, test, a, a testimony. What blessed me today as a pastor, and we talked about the mega churches, and you know Chicago has a lot of killings and everything, but when I seen Marcus Rogers take his church, children from age of three and people, and walk through the streets and calling on the name of Jesus, not backing down, telling them that you're going to feel uncomfortable. People are going to mock you. Not now, we know down. he doesn't have the biggest church. So we're the mega churches that have all the resources. Mm -hmm. We just said that the mm -hmm. average church has That's about right. 70 to 100 people. I'm not That's right. But we're the mega churches who have so many where they're not locking arms with those of us that's grassroots, with those of us that know about the power of God that's and right. come alongside of us. That's right. Well, so many have been compromised. And, it, and, I'll, and I'm, you know, I'll leave it at that. But, you know, we, the church is called to be the salt and the light, the moral compass. And that, that alone, everybody should be out in the street. The moral yeah. compass saying it is wrong to have our young people dying in the streets at the numbers that they're dying. Yep. That alone should cause every Sunday, somebody marching somewhere. But I, that, that, I, can I just say this to you? Like, I agree. Mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of megachurch pastors and pastors in general who, when they go out, they're actually saying the wrong thing. And I wish the Negroes would go back inside. <laughs> I wish I would say I would say just go pray at the altar and pray for the thing to change. Because they come outside and they 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 saying the wrong things. You know, they they're they're they fussing at the community for you know all kind of stuff for their side like we've been saying siding with the police or 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 bringing doubt into the cases that we're trying to advocate for, or they're more upset with the protest saying, you know, everything I mentioned like they, they're the, okay, they're the, the bride. Why don't we have other pastors checking those mega churches? We do. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to tell y'all that, like, we do. But, but I mean, have you ever been in a conversation with a family member and you try to tell them, you try to tell it to, them and they just they don't they don't agree, and you just you just don't agree, and so you agree to disagree, right? Like, so you you. I just want y'all to appreciate that there are. Lots of, I mean, our network alone has lots of pastors who are out. We getting arrested. We doing, we doing all kind of stuff. We've been doing it since, at least since Ferguson. Some of you been doing it like since you know the 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 uh, Rodney King incident. You know, I, I won't say we're the majority, but we're enough. We're not like insignificant. I just want you all to not to not be you know discouraged to the point where there's no one out here. There are people out here. And, and sometimes us asking for the mega church people to come who are going to say the wrong thing will actually do more harm than good until they're ready to actually adopt the kind of thinking 
of the pastors who do believe in the justice passages you've mentioned. Um, now, there are pastors, I think, who we would agree on voting. They would agree on, you know, other things, and we should get out and partner with them. But I'm telling this police brutality conversation, this is a very, it's not, there's not any consensus in the Black community about how to respond to this from the, from, from the community, right? Because a lot of community members who have not lost loved ones to gun violence, um, or to police violence, they're the ones calling for more cops. So you you can you can even have the community members, not just the preacher, community members be like, well, we need more police. We having that argument right now here in Oakland, right? You got community members calling for the NAACP in Oakland is calling for more cops, and we had to call our public leader to try to quiet them down. So I'm just saying, like, what we need, we need people who believe in what we believe. Right. And we need to mobilize ourselves together. And we need to be a loud megaphone. And whoever those folks are, we keep working and growing until we hit the tipping point. But there are pastors out here. And if, you know, anyone who's listening to this want to, you know, see if we have some pastors in your in your city or region. And or if you want to learn from any of the trainings or the tools we have, we'll offer that to folks literally at no cost or charge because we learned it ourselves along the way. Right. So. I just want I just want to just keep reiterating that there are folks out here that would love to partner with families. We partner directly with Uncle Bobby and AB and the Families United for Justice and a lot of a lot of you know uh, groups and parents and families who've lost their loved ones and their churches and clergy in each city that we work in that are trying to hold that down. But I, I'll be honest, it's like five to ten churches in each city. It ain't like hundreds of churches in each city. And I get you know, frustrated by that sometimes, but sometimes you just got to go with who you go. And even in those cities, when we're organized well, we win great policy victories that impact the whole city and even sometimes the whole state, five or 10 pastors, plus some real solid community people. So we don't need everybody. We just need some committed folk. That's right. That's right. That part, that part. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to have this conversation, Pastor. I love your T-shirt that says Hope Dealer. Yes, me too. We are, not, we are not, we are not like men and women most miserable. I hope is built on, on solid rock. Trust Amen. that. <laughs> Trust right. that. So, right. so, so you know, we are hoping that having these kind of conversations can number one bring the transparency. We, you know, like having a little a family meeting. You know, we like right. eating this evening, but also to move the needle forward because we are the change. We always the change we've been waiting for. That's right. Ain't nobody coming in on white horse, no cavalry coming. No, that's not happening. So we're the ones, and we look to all of our leaders, our spiritual leaders, our uh, community leaders, all of them, all everyone to get involved because it's a everybody need to get involved, boots on the ground situation. That's no right. And we all have the power to change it, every last one of us. We do. We absolutely do. And I think I, I can't, I can't, I can't see where I'm looking at here. Um, were there links put in the text as well? Yes, we have some links. We're going to um, make sure that we keep all these contact, this contact information. All right. We got to, yeah, yes. Mr. Guys, it's really important. So like we said, we say connected. Um, we don't have all the answers. As you see, though, we have pastors here and here on the podcast tonight who are willing to fight for the change. Um, they don't have all the answers either. You know, but here is some content information. Um, which page is this, y'all? Like I said, I, I got a black one. I still can't see. Enough 
activism, activism, social change. Yeah. And that, that was yeah, that commercial right there was for the Juneteenth event we did at the. Uh, oh, the- I came out there to the baseball field. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Enough shout enough.org.com. Live free us live free Yes. Y'all um go um um hit up some of these websites. That's right. Absolutely. Where my program is a is a direct intersection of faith communities and political action um that's happening here in the Twin Cities area. And so there's a lot of organizing work that happens in that regard. So there's that that's that intersection of street and faith right there. Perfect. Mel, can you put that link up as well? But okay, you got a little rotation going. Okay, and y'all, we'll also put these on our um, on our page as well. And I think I kind of saw from here. We're gonna make an announcement as well too. Um, life after impact. We do finally have a website. Um, we are finally under lifeaftheimpact.org. Uh, we'll be sure to share all these links as well um, from the pastors' websites to our website also. Also on our website, you'll see on there the resources, um, the call actions, there's a link on here as well where you can go look at, I'm sorry, listen to all the previous podcasts as well. Um, the goal of the website is to not only share the call of actions, but also to build resources. So when we are you know, killed by the police and it's more so for police violence, who do we look to? Um, a lot of times we're lost, you know, so we don't have the resources there, so we're trying, we don't have all the answers, so the website is not totally 100%, you know, we're still building the website, but that's the whole point of us having these conversations, to get connected with the pastors, get connected with people in our community and not to know how to move forward. Yes. You know, Toya, if I can say, I mean, she's from this area, from the area where I live in, your voice is, you may not know how powerful your voice is, you may not realize how a life changing and and perspective changing your consistency has been um since you lost you know your son in the things that you do and your persistence your tenacity has caught the attention of a lot of folks and and i'll say it has shamed a lot of folks into uh opening their eyes and asking questions so we talk a lot about pastors 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 uh people like you toy are making a tremendous difference where it matters you know in people's hearts and causing them to you know, say, what can I do to help? So I just want to congratulate you uh, on, on your fight and encourage you to keep on doing what you're doing and keep on fighting. You know, there's, that's there's, don't get tired. That's right. And, and I also, I thank you as well, too, because like I said, y'all, when I had those billboards put up, Pastor Holland, when I say uh, part of that just, uh, now, um, um, Pastor McBride, I will give you a little point so your title will see right here. That did help me out when it came to certain things with networking. Um, when it came to certain things, certain organizations wouldn't even mess with me because I'm an individual. And because I wasn't like an organization, they wouldn't let me do certain things. So I did get a certain church who would, you know, back me up behind what I need to get done. So I put that all, I thank you, you know, from day one, you guys have been, I need something, you've been right there. So I definitely do thank you. Yeah. And I, 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 I just want y'all to know, like, I for the last ten years, I've been going to the PAW, Kojic, AME, Baptist, the non-denominational event. I we go around and we've been trying to get them activated to do some of this stuff. We sit with the bishops. We're actually getting ready to try to strike a partnership with the National Congress or the National Conference of Black Churches, headed by 
and every major denominational bishop is a part of that. And we're trying to get them to figure out how to bring their the weight of their denominations into this fight. I just think it's just really important for us to appreciate. And I know this 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 may not this may not land. Say it. With Come on, right? just say it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you got you got a lot of the, a lot of the, the, these denominations. They have members of their denominations who are police officers, just like some of our families got police officers. And it creates lots and lots of tension in in these spaces when you start talking about police accountability. All of them will agree that no kid, no family member should be shot by the police. No one's being, oh, we don't care about that. But when you start talking about how to hold police accountable, I'm telling you, man, it get quieted in the church mouse. I mean, it 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 it, it creates lots of tension. And so I just think it's really important for us to like not lose heart because we don't have the mega churches of some of these bishops. Some of the bishops will support, but then they'll put their smaller church pastors and sometimes some mid-sized pastors in the front line of the fight. You just gotta I be I've I've told my team and staff, you kind of gotta go with who shows up and get strategic support from the bishop. So Bishop Shear weighed in last year on the, the George Floyd and Policing Act, or we've had some, some other pastors and churches uh, uh, chime in on various different things at the local state level. So uh, some of it is, is like playing Ruby's Cube a little bit, but I think we keep the critique up about we need more of the church support. And I, I think we keep saying it, hollering it from the mountaintop. And then just not get discouraged because a lot of them will be a little slow to move. Some of them will want to be involved, but not at the front, front line. You know, some of them want to play the, you know, it's just lots of different ways to get involved. And someone who's who's been working with Negro preachers for 20 years, you know, I'm just telling you, you know, it, it's it's a lot. Um, Come on to the fourth Episcopal district of the AME church. Okay. That's not the message that I've been hearing. So <laughs> okay. I directive I, I, to be I, on the I, front I'm going to leave you alone. I, I, I'll let Come you on. hold that one down. All right. I got you. I got you. But we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, if you're asking me to come help do some trainings there, I'll definitely come. That part. That oh, part. yeah, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, we, we, we'll go anywhere we invite. I thought you meant like, come, you know, come, 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 come walk a, a mile in my shoes. I tell you. No, no, no. no. I'm saying like, 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 shoes. I know, I know how I'm, hard. I'm seeing this nexus and, and we, we have. I'm seeing this nexus form, and this is another area of strategy that I think that that you all are kind of helping to illuminate, because I would suspect that the congregations and the communities around you are getting language from the participation in the things that you're in that help that help them to be bold in their faith and their justice at the same time. And so I think I, I think there's some really powerful opportunity here to be able to 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 equip that. I know that my parishioners, I serve a church that I serve a church of 70 members. And and one of the things that is clear is that we are develop, co-developing with our frontline folks with all of that, a different language, a different kind of, uh, I don't know, holy boldness, if you will, to where folks just ain't taking the stuff we, t- we, we, we took before and people aren't That's being right. able to drive a wedge between our faith and, and, and our call for justice in the same way that it did before. And so folks are, you know, I, I, think, I think there's some room and some space for that. And to the question that was said earlier about, about hope, this is an area where I am seeing hope because folks, you know, uh, especially, in, in, let me just go and say it, there were elders in our community who had a real problem with how we were organizing on the front line. Huge problem. 
-hmm. That conversation has gone, has shifted mm -hmm. greatly from, from 2019 to now, from 2017 to, sorry, 2016 to now. And so I, I think I think there's some 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 power to be able to like take up that territory, right? That's that prayer job is. Let's enlarge this territory, right? And let's go. Let's let let's let's, let's equip some folks with some stuff that says you ain't gonna you ain't gonna do that two step, y'all. They they eviscerated the the mayor of Minneapolis over here, who who tried to to use the old language, and they were just like, nah. I had a lady in our congregation who said her she grew up in this in the third precinct area. Um, and y'all didn't know that there were black folks in Minnesota, but we out here burning down precincts. Like all of a sudden, now we on the map, and 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 now there's this whole different thing that's happening. And folks who were willing to take certain conversations before are unwilling to even stomach that now. And so, I, I Pastor Mike, I, I look forward to being able to to kind of grow and look at them strategy spaces, but for us to stay connected in that regard, because I see that as an area of hope for us moving forward. Amen. Reverend um, Anthony, I do like when you said faith and justice. I don't know if there's a program or something around that, but it is very powerful where even a tool where leaders can teach their congregants, you know, just have faith and justice and know that they can go hand in hand. It's a, right. your, faith should make, your faith is what drives your voice to want justice. That's Come right. on now. That's right. Right. But we got a lot of secret sensitive church, um, um, saints. So that's the reason why I say you know, we as leaders okay. and, and those that sit in the pews, some people, some, some of the people in the pews, they're scared to even evangelize. And we try to get them to stand up for justice. So I see with a prophetic eye and I see this, this faith and justice. Now, I, I don't know if y'all got something already out there, already put together, send it over to prophetess. But I'm going to work that. If it don't, I'm going to preach a prophetic word because I see it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's your Amen. faith that makes you believe that there's justice, right? That's right. That's you right. You may hope so. Yeah, I mean, you can say that. I ain't come to get included in the uh in the in the um kingdom. I came to turn this bad boy. That's um, my the kingdom stuff is violently. We gotta what? Take I, it by force. Take I don't it know where these panty eddy taxes don't have this absolutely to stand on. It's so weird. <laughs> So we, yeah, we need the saints to be ready to take some stuff by force. That's the ones we need. It, it's been, <laughs> let the church say amen. Um, amen. 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 I, I just appreciate all of y'all for, for coming on. I know uh we read a little bit over, but it, this is such a rich conversation. And um, I our hope is that we're gonna push the needles forward in order that we um I heard the, the theme of unification, unity, more unity. For the ones yeah. who included, you know, the ones who, you know, ain't going to be everybody, but, it's, you know, it's a lot of us that's going to be willing to put ourselves out there and say, hey, we want change in our community and do the thing. And like, and like Latoya says, we, we don't have all the answers, but we know that when we come together on one accord, that we can make amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. And so thank you uh, all for being part of this this uh uh this uh episode and um now you can find us online at www.lifeafterthepact.org you know hit us up on there you can listen to uh previous podcasts 
You can see what we're up to. We have we are actually a 5013C. We're looking to do advocacy work and help people to get accountability and some form of justice. You know, we have three people on the line who have lost loved ones. Um, um, uh, Reverend uh, uh, Greta and Latoya and myself who have lost loved ones. You can't, we can't bring them back. But what we can do is make sure nobody else is impacted the way we have been. You don't want this. You don't want this trauma in your life. You don't. And so we want to make sure that this is not happening. Our children and our grandchildren, our great, see, we could, and our great grandchildren, our children after that don't have to deal with the same stuff. And, and it's on us. It's on us. The ball's in our court to do something different, to make a change. Like you said, we're the ones we're waiting for. The ones we've been waiting for. That's right. With that, I'm going to say, uh, if anybody has any closing remarks, other words, now unto him who was able to keep you from falling to prevent you faultless before his throne of grace with exceeding joy to the only wise God be dominion and power now and forevermore. And let us say amen. Amen. That's life. Amen. Blessings. Love, peace, and increase. Hold on to the increase. I like that. <laughs> Hold on to the increase. That's I'll, right. I'll, 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 all right, Roxanne. Glory. I'll take care now. One of the challenges that we realize there's not enough to right. increase happening around the country. And most of the names people don't know. Yeah, so yeah. I think we have to go to the DOJ in force and say to them, listen, we got thousands of names and we believe these names are connected to patterns in local law enforcement that's going unchecked. And we know more individuals are going to die because of it. Because the consent decrees, again, like that happened after Rodney King and different administrations will, and the Trump administration came in and they ended them. So we really need something in place that takes the consent decrees to the next level. The community of individuals and families who, who hold these names near and dear have to go to the DOJ and make this a priority. And I think it also gives us the ability to begin to think and organize together. Because yeah. people have to realize the the gravity of what we're dealing with. We're dealing with folks being lynched in 2023. And Literally. now we're dealing with folks being lynched. We're dealing with folks being black folks being lynched predominantly with no accountability, no, no recourse, no. nothing left nothing. to deal with that trauma. Right. Yeah. But we need to talk about what the next level of pressure and accountability looks like, because I think we have to go beyond consent decrees as well.